Father God, we thank you for allowing us to gather as your people. We seek your word now to speak to us, to our inner core, that hearts and minds and souls would be able to respond, Lord, to your word that you've preserved over thousands of years that it might encourage, rebuke, train us in righteousness. We desire this, Lord. And so I ask that you would anoint my lips in these words, Lord, that they would be authored by you, and we seek ultimately your will to be done. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you can, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. It's an amazing passage that you guys are studying for the rest of the summer as you're going through the Lord's Prayer. Um, I want to begin our time by reading the text. But as a side note, you know, growing up, I, I memorized this prayer. But the irony is, is I memorized it, and, and it seemed in such a... Uh, it almost seemed an error that this was like a go-to prayer that you would repeat, you know, many times depending on what sin you had committed. And it didn't seem like a really good application of what Jesus had intended this prayer to be. Jesus had intended this prayer to be something that we would learn from, not just repeat repetitively. And so we look now to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Jesus speaking, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's a powerful text. And I'm really thankful that the Lord would have you guys studying this text because what it's done for me is it's, it's had me study the text. In particular, verse 10 is what we'll be covering this morning, where Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As I've been pondering and really seeking the Lord and, and like in all sincerity being reminded of how this is a prayer that I often prayed that God would broaden my perspective, that God would broaden and give me the kingdom perspective. That's why I'm really thankful to be here with you to be able to share in this text. In studying for this text, I came across one of my favorite authors, Henry Ironside. I like what he said about 
this text in particular. He says this. In these verses, we have our Lord's own teaching in regard to prayer. To ignore this as though it were not in keeping with the truth of the present dispensation of the grace of God would result in robbing our own souls of some of the most precious and important instruction that we have in all the word of God. Think of the privilege, he says, of sitting at the feet of the great intercessor himself and hearing him tell us how to pray. It is indeed a priceless opportunity not to be despised or passed on to disciples of some other age. We need to remind ourselves anew that in as much as we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, there is nothing in Scripture of a moral or spiritual character that is not part of our heritage, a heritage that has been given by Christ Jesus, a practice not in a religious way, but that God, as he would teach It's exciting to think of of you guys taking this scripture the rest of the summer, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and that he would teach you to pray. Just in studying the text, for me personally, what it's done to encourage my own personal prayer life was encouraged to be reminded as I read this quote, I thought, wow, what, what an amazing privilege we have. That God would even allow us to communicate with him in prayer. And, and, and the power of prayer and its potency. Friends, do not take lightly the season that God has for you to learn more about prayer. As we look specifically at verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you begin to study about the kingdom of God, your your mind could just be blown away. Especially as you you look into the picture of of the Apostle John as he describes it in the book of Revelation. It's just mind-blowing. I mean, to... To come up with a clear definition of the kingdom of God, it's pretty difficult. And yet we have his word to be able to give us a greater insight into it. But before we get started, I want to say this in regards to the kingdom of God. Because often often you hear a phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And they more or less mean the exact same thing. In biblical times, out of reverence, Jewish, uh, in the Jewish circle, they would avoid pronouncing the sacred name of God. So they would often use the term heaven, and they would substitute it for God. Isn't that a great picture? Just pondering that. That heaven, for us friends, is not a destination. 
Heaven is not a place, but it's a person. The person of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that did a lot for my soul, to think of heaven in that manner. I mean, yeah, we think of of Jesus when he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And and immediately for us, because we're we're so... um, just stuff oriented like oh I wonder what my mansion's gonna look like that's not the point of heaven it's the person not the place when we review various statements from the Bible about the kingdom of God we see in in the ancient scriptures uh, the Hebrew prophets They were enamored by the dream of the kingdom, a vision of the world where God's justice and peace would reign. The prophet Isaiah referred to a place, this place, as where swords would be beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, where there'd be no more war. He saw equality for the poor. Help for the weak, liberation and freedom for captives. In the book of Amos, he speaks of the kingdom of God as a place where justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like an overflowing stream. Elsewhere, we find the image where uh, here on earth we would find the knowledge of God overflowing like waters of the ocean. Jesus often talked about the kingdom of God. In Luke 17, he says, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is among you, he said. In some translations, he says, the kingdom of God is within you. Early in the book of Matthew, when Jesus began his ministry, he would say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist, when he came on the scene, the very same message was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Matthew 16, verse 28, it says, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then later, Jesus would say to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so just sharing these few scriptures in regards to the kingdom of God, you come to a conclusion that it's not easy to define the kingdom of God. Yet what seems clear to me What seems safe to say is 
that the phrase the kingdom of God is at hand or to say thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it's a very missional statement. William Barclay gives a significant insight with uh, regards to this text. He, he talks about it, it being, it's a, it's a parallelism. And he reminds us of the Hebrew pattern of poetry, which the second line explains, amplifies, and defines the first line. We see that pattern throughout the Psalms. So basically he suggests that the Lord's Prayer provides the perfect definition in this. That thy kingdom come is defined by the phrase, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is a society upon earth where God's will is perfectly done as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is a body of believers who seek to submit to God's will. To be governed by God. And, and yet, just in that phrase, the will of God, I, I found it's so many, so many times as a pastor for about 17 years, one of the questions that comes up frequent is, man, I just want to know God's will in my life. You ever been there? I just want to know God's will. And some people get almost to the point of hyper-spiritual about it. Like, God, what would you have me wear today? Would you have me wear red shoes? Like, God, help me. Brothers and sisters, be freed in the freedom of God and choose what shoes freely. One of your worship leaders, he showed up this morning with two different shoes on. I kid you not. We're praying and we look down and we see the man's wearing two different shoes. Obviously, he couldn't work out the will of God in his life. He's all straightened out now. His wife showed up with the other pair and he's all good. But oftentimes we, we get in a place where we're like, God, what is, what is your will in my life? And, and believe me, brothers, there, there is a Brothers and sisters, there's a complexity in it, yet there's a simplicity in it. There's the simplicity of, of John the Baptist, where he just says, I must decrease that you would increase. Try that for summarizing and simplifying the will of God in your life. The will of God in your life is to know him. When, when, when the, the Pharisees often questioning Jesus, they would say to him, what is the greatest commandment? And the response of Jesus was clear. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and your mind. 
all that you are submitted to God. Seeking to be governed by his will. His will in your life, brothers and sisters, is to love him, to know him. Almost can, can summarize the will of God is salvation. So much so that he sent his only begotten son that all who would know him would not perish, but it would experience this love affair with a God who so loved humanity that he would send his only begotten son and that in that we can know him, experience him, have a relationship with him. To love him, that's the will of God, is to love him. How do we love him? Because let's be honest, many of us were, weren't taught how to love rightly. Love has is, is been tainted, tainted love. And yet Jesus, Jesus would say in John 14, 15, he's, he, he says, if you love me, then you obey my commands. If you love me, then you obey my commands. Listen, many of you are not parents, and as a father, I, I gotta tell you, there's nothing greater than a kid who obeys. <laughs> it's the greatest thing ever. And, and luckily, praise God, that we serve a heavenly father who is just. It's not in his capacity to do wrong. He can't do wrong because it's in his very nature to do right. And so when he says, if you love me, then obey my commands, it's different than me. I enjoy my, my kids obeying me. But sometimes I use it to my advantage when you're just lazy on the couch and you say, hey, can you get me a glass of water? And again, I just can't be honest. There's nothing greater than having a kid come to you with a cold glass of water and you grab it and you're just like, thank you, an obedient child. There's a blessing in it. But I got to tell you, equally, so disturbing to have a child who's disobedient. Frustrating at times. One time, my son, he's my youngest of four. I have three daughters and a son, and he's five years old. And when he was about four, we live in a, in a, in a housing track where there's a cul-de-sac, and, and uh, we have friends across the street. All our neighbors are friends. And uh, my neighbor across the street, he's got a son, and they're buddies with my son. And uh, but like any parent, you teach your kid before crossing the street to look both ways, right? You learn this as a young child from your parent. They say, you look left first, 
Then you look right, then you look left again, right? We all know that move? It's easy. And, and, and we're taught that for our safety. Before you run across the street, especially living in the city, look left. And some, some roads you just look left, right? Because they're one way or right, whatever. Look both ways, everybody. My son, I teach him this, and one day, lo and behold, at the corner of my eye, I'm, I'm, I'm on the, the driveway, and I'm, I remember I was cleaning my 62 Bel Air. Matter of fact, I think I have a picture of it. Maybe I don't. There it is. There's my disobedient son, <laughs> my lovely wife, April. But any, anyway, I, somehow I wanted to sneak this picture in. And there it is. But I'm cleaning the 62, and at the corner of my eye, I see my son because I hear Dylan, his friend, calling him across the street. And he beelines across the grass, and I see him about to run into the street without stopping to look left and to the right and back to the left. So as a dad, I, I stand up, and lo and behold, at the periphery of my other eye, I see a car coming. And this is disturbing for any parents because now my son is entering into the street, and I holler, and I scream, Judah, and he stops in his tracks, and, and because of my voice, the, the, the car stops, and I go, and I grab him, and there is this mixed emotion, an emotion of, son, I have taught you to stop and look both ways. But there was also this mixed emotion of carrying him in my arms and just this, oh, my son, if you would have died, I would have been undone. I love you, boy. And there was this mixed emotion of I love you and like, just, just, you got to listen to me. <laughs> Friends, when Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commands. You got to hear that in the phrase, in the voice of a father who knows best. Not of someone who is controlling, not someone who just wants a glass of cold water when they want, but someone who knows best because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And, and, and the beauty is that in this text, because I don't want to take it out of context, Jesus not only says, if you love me, obey my commands, but he gives us the resource, the power to be obedient. John 14, 15 reads, if you love me, obey my commands, but then in verse 16 Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He is the Holy Spirit whom leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you, and now later he will come upon you. 
Later in, in John chapter 16, Jesus would tell the disciples, it is to your advantage that I go, that the Spirit might come. To do what? To help them. Do what? Be on mission. To further the kingdom of God. We read in the book of Acts, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon these men. And as they, as they are empowered, Peter would preach a message that would go and, and, and hundreds would be saved. The missional aspect of the kingdom of God is set in motion. The kingdom perspective, the kingdom mindset, as Jesus would commission them to go, not only does he say go, but he grants them the power to go. And, and he displayed this himself, Jesus, when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane, would tell his disciples that, man, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we see him at, at, at an hour of just torment. This is an hour of complete and utter agony. He would say, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Thy will be done. He knew what had to happen so that we would experience a relationship and that the kingdom of God would be found here on earth in the midst of people who seek to submit and be governed by him. The kingdom of God demands submission of our will, our hearts, our life, because in doing so, we properly represent him as ambassadors. We properly display to the city what happens when a man and a woman submits to a holy God. We become the light so that they see our good deeds and praise our Heavenly Father. It's not always easy. As sheep, we're prone to wander. We often struggle with our own will. The Apostle Paul, he painted the picture rightly for many of us who struggle with that. In Romans chapter 7, he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but what I do, the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells within me. That is in my flesh. And I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I do. And we often, as believers, we find ourselves in this position. But friends, It's when we're in the valley of temptation, it's when we're in this position that we execute 
what it is Jesus is teaching us in the Lord's Prayer, and that is to pray that the Lord's will be done. That we would pray and ask the Spirit of God to empower us. Just as Jesus was at the hour of decision, he could have gone one way or the other. Friends, when you're in the hour of temptation, we cry out, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Because as we live in a society that's just anti the kingdom of God. We live in a society that that doesn't promote the king of God, it promotes the king of self. Number one, it's all about success, our safety, our security, investments, our comfort, luxury. And the kingdom of God challenges these very instincts. The flesh is constantly challenged we are witnessing in our society the tragic outcome of economic build which is built out of greed when everyone takes as much as they can take excess becomes the norm executives taking millions of dollars and and running businesses into the ground when fraud and theft occur on the massive scale. And we're we're feeling that tension. And it's too easy to conform to the ways of the world rather than to be transformed by the power of the Spirit. We build our kingdom of comfort. We like comfort. That's why I asked for fans. Man, I'm sweating. I can't be sweating while I'm teaching. We want comfort. We like a life of ease. Most of us have families and friends. We enjoy jobs. We keep busy. Relatively happy. Almost at a place where we're not in need. We're not in want. We've achieved in the United States a living that's almost close to heaven. So we no longer worry about the basic necessities of life. And so rely on self. I mean, as as you pray the prayer of, of, Lord, give us thy bread, thy daily bread. It's almost on the contrary now. There's there's no need. If anything, there's too much bread. And we're consumed by it. We're consumed in either way. Either we're eating too much or we're not eating enough in our society. We're either obsessed with obesity or we're obsessed with the disorder of not eating Friends, on the way here from Santa Barbara, I, I saw an article where it was an article on a, a diet for your dog. Like we're obsessed with how our dogs are eating. 
whether you're eating too much. It's getting out of control. The point is, it's getting out of control. And the kingdom mindset frees us from that. It frees us, listen, from ourselves. Because when your eyes are on yourself, when your eyes are fixed on comfort, when your eyes are, are, are distracted by the treasures here on earth, we begin to self-destruct. It's like we run into the street without looking both ways. And Jesus this morning is just wonderfully reminding us to be in prayer. That we would be a people that would submit to his will. Because it's not just something like, okay, guys, let's get her done. Let's go and let's try to be do-gooders. That's religious. No. Because we love him, we want to obey him in that manner as a father. As a sheep who are prone to wander, we need to wander back into his arms. We desire and pray for his will to be done. What we're taught from this prayer, it's a supernatural thing. And so it takes the supernatural ability of the power of the Spirit and the surrendering of our will in prayer. Even as today as we come forward and we... we kneel at, at the carpet level and just, Lord, take my will, which is consumed by comfort. Or maybe for you it's, Lord, I'm consumed with relationship. I'm consumed with consumerism. And so we, we identify this and, and we take it to the Lord in prayer. And we ask that thy will be done so that as a people, we become the society that would glorify our God and attract through a missional statement of, of just thinking in regards to uh, praying and modeling salvation as we advance the kingdom of God. In studying this text, I came across a, a distinguished Greek author and he writes this in regards to this text. The kingdom of God, according to the word of the Lord and Savior, comes not with observation. Neither shall they say, behold, here, or behold, there. But the kingdom of God is within us. For the word is very near to us in our mouths and in our hearts. So one prays, who prays for the coming of the kingdom of God, rightly prays that the kingdom of God might be established in himself, that it might bear fruits and be perfected in himself. Every saint being ruled by God as king and obedient to the spiritual laws of God as it were, dwells within this kingdom 
as in a well-ordered city. The Father is present to such a one. And Christ reigns with the Father in the soul of that who is maturing. This in accord with the promises that we will come to him and make him our own abode with him. Do you get that relational aspect? It's very relational in its core, yet it still demands a submitting of our will. It takes a sacrifice. I believe perhaps this is a season that the Lord would have a sacrifice and develop a prayer life with a kingdom perspective. And that's what we can do this morning. As we gather, as we conclude, as we pray, we pray, Lord, your will be done. Thy kingdom come. Friends, let's come and let's confess the areas which trip us up, the areas that would keep us from being transformed so that the purpose of this would be that as intimacy would grow in him, that he would use us as vessels, as a people that would further the kingdom of God. For truly the kingdom of God is at hand. And we have been blessed to be a part of it. Jesus, we just ask as we submit to you that you would come and have your way with us. Lord, as we take a time of just remembering what you did on the cross, as we take communion, we remember, Jesus, that you have died that we might live. And some here, Lord, just feeling bound, feeling burdened. Would you free us, Lord? to live life abundantly, would you free us as your people to experience the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, as we contemplate what your prophet Isaiah said, we want to be liberated. We don't want to be shackled. We want to be freed. We want your righteousness to be well-ordered in us. And so we submit to you. We ask that you would govern us and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you might come upon us and empower us to be a people who would live for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.